I just want to begin by saying thank you to uh, the band for using your spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities to serve us every week. Um, and, and, and thank you, so many of you who serve during the week and on Sundays to make worship happen and to help uh, this church happen. Thank you for everybody in the tech booth. These, that's the, that's the like, least glamorous job in the tech booth because if things go well, nobody notices you, and if they go bad, everybody blames you. Um, so I'm grateful for them, for the ushers and greeters, those of you who serve on Sunday mornings in our kids' area. You have a, a little breather today, so I'm sure you're glad about that, so thank you all. And I just want to say thank you to the kids, students who are in here. Uh, you bring life, vitality, wisdom, and energy to our church, and uh, can we give them a round of applause and just thank them for being a part of the body of Christ with us? There you go. Just receive it. Just receive it, you know, with arms open. Um, we're glad you're here, and so I know uh, kids and even and some adults have been in and out the last few weeks as we've been in this sermon series on Joseph, and today, what I want to do to begin with is to catch you up a little bit on where we've been in this journey looking at Joseph's life, and Joseph's story comes to us in the last half of Genesis, and so to kind of catch you up, rather than reiterating it all myself, I found a video um, that I want to play for you to kind of catch you up a little bit and see where we are. And it's going to end at the moment that we're going to talk about in Joseph's story today. So get comfortable. It's about three minutes. Um, sit back and relax. God's story, Joseph. So part of God's story is about a guy named Joseph. And it begins like this. Once there was a guy named Joseph who had 10 older brothers and one younger one. When Joe was a boy, he was his dad's favorite. In fact, his dad liked him so much better than his brothers that he gave Joe a special gift to prove it. You can imagine this made his brothers jealous. And Joe only made things worse. He told his brothers about dreams he had where he was ruling over them. Well, this made Joe's brothers furious. One day they were working and saw Joe coming. They said, here comes that dreamer. They threw Joe into a dark pit. They might have left him there forever but they met some men traveling from Egypt and sold Joe to them as a servant instead. They thought that was slightly nicer than leaving him in a pit. Then they went home and told their father Joe had been killed by a wild animal. This broke their dad's heart. Kids, these brothers were really bad news. Selling a sibling is never a good idea, ever. But the Bible says the Lord was with Joe. When Joe was a servant, he worked for a really important rich guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar liked Joe so much, he put him in charge of the whole house. Joe was happy until one day he was blamed for something he didn't do, and Potiphar sent him straight to jail. Well, God was still with Joe, even in prison. The guard decided he liked Joe so much, he put him in charge of all the other prisoners. Then God gave Joe special knowledge about dreams. When two prisoners had dreams, Joe knew what they meant, so he told them. Two years later, Egypt's ruler called Pharaoh had a dream, and nobody knew what it meant. But by now, one of the two prisoners Joe had helped was out of jail and working for Pharaoh. He told Pharaoh about Joe, and God helped Joe figure out what Pharaoh's dream meant. But Pharaoh's dream was really more of a nightmare. It meant that everybody in Egypt would have food for seven years, then be hungry for seven years. Joe told Pharaoh the only way to survive was to store food during the seven good years. Well. Pharaoh thought Joe's idea was brilliant. He put him in charge. During the seven hunger years, nobody could eat without getting food from Joe. He was like a human vending machine. Well, remember how Joe had 11 brothers? Like everybody else, they had to get food from Joe. And when they came, they didn't even recognize their brother. 
but Jonah who they were. He secretly tested them to see if they changed. After all, they did throw him in a pit and sell him. Finally, he couldn't hide who he was from his brothers anymore. He told everyone to leave the room because he was about to cry. After sobbing for a few minutes, he told them, I'm your brother, Joseph. I'm the one you sold. And that's a part of God's story. So he says to them, I am Joseph. And then right after that, we find him asking, is my father still alive? And then and he says this, we, we find this in Genesis, his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And I mean, I want you to just put yourself in the shoes of his brothers. I mean, you would have been terrified too, right? I mean, you had literally sold your brother into slavery. And for the last 22 years, you've been telling everybody that he was mauled and he was eaten by animals and that he is dead and gone. Your father has been grieving the loss of his favorite son. And, and maybe at this point, the brothers even began to believe that Joseph was actually dead. And then in this moment, they come face to face with Joseph. They found out he's not dead, he's alive. And the last time they saw him, he was down in a pit, right, where they threw him. And now, rather than being down in the pit, he's up above them in authority. And Joseph, he's not just a random guy. Now he's a leader in Egypt, in Pharaoh's kingdom. And so he has gold, he has robes, he looks like a full-blown Egyptian. He has chariots, he has warriors at his fingertips. He has all the power and authority that he could want. And so his brothers were terrified. Now, this isn't the kind of terrified like you might experience coming up. If you go to a haunted house and you're really terrified, but you know soon it's going to end and it's all kind of fake, right? This is the kind of terrified the brothers felt was when you're in battle and you realize that there's a thousand people and it's just you and it's about to be over. That's the kind of terror that the brothers felt. And so their blood ran cold. They were shaking. They were terrified standing there in front of Joseph. And now I want you to imagine if you were Joseph and these brothers who had harmed you who were nice to you by selling you into slavery, who haven't come looking for you all of these years, now you're face to face with them. And you have the chance to say whatever you want and to do whatever you want. I mean, what would you have done? I think a lot of us probably would have just hit the first person that we saw. No amens to that. No, you wouldn't have done that. Y'all are so nice and proper. That's good. That's good. I think a lot of us probably would have, you know, yelled some bad words at the brothers and, and kind of given them a stream of expletives. If you're like me and you have weak wrists, you probably wouldn't have hit them. Or uh, maybe you wouldn't use bad words because I don't like using bad words. So I probably would have just snapped my fingers and gotten the army to do all the dirty work for me and just said, take care of them. I mean, I think a lot of us would have done that but instead, we find Joseph doing something a little bit different. Something that's pretty surprising. Something, quite frankly, that seems kind of impossible for us. No, as they stand there speechless, Joseph wipes the tears from his eyes. And then he says something to them. And we find it in Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 4. Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. 
which you can imagine they were probably really scared. Like They're like, we're not coming close to you. We want to get away from you. He says, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said again, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren and your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. And otherwise, if you don't come, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you've seen and bring my father down here quickly. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and the stuff in here seems too good to be true. And this is one of those scenes, right? I mean, this moment of family reunion, of forgiveness and reconciliation seems kind of crazy to us and almost impossible. Because what we see Joseph doing here, you know, embracing them, saying, hey, look, I'm going to provide for you. Hey, I know you sold me into slavery, but now I want you to come and live with me and let's all be one big happy family again. That seems so crazy for us. Because in our own lives, although... I don't think any of us in here have ever been sold into slavery. We've been harmed by other people. We've been sinned against. Our family members have wronged us. Our family members have lied to us. We have people in our lives who've hurt us physically, emotionally, mentally, wounded us spiritually. We've experienced these things. Friends have turned their backs on us. Kids and students, I know there's bullies like A lot of us didn't know growing up. Social media makes everything a lot worse. And so in these moments when we've been wounded, when we've been harmed, when people have wronged us, these are things that we carry with us for a long time. We carry them with us like burdens or we just kind of tuck them deep in our hearts and at different times they they kind of rear their heads. And while, while we say, yeah, it'd be really nice to be like Joseph in this story, for a lot of us it seems crazy and it seems impossible because rather than doing what Joseph did, most of us just want to get even. We want to hold the grudge. We want to nurse the grudge. We want people to get what they deserve. And so a lot of this here seems... Too good to be true. And even if we wanted to forgive a lot of us, we really don't know where we would start. And actually, when we did the You Asked For It series earlier this year, one of the most asked questions was, how do I even begin to forgive other people? Because I've been hurt in ways that you can't imagine. How do I even start that. 
For a lot of us, it seems impossible, and it's a great question to ask. But I think as we look at Joseph's story, we can begin to learn how it is possible for us. How this journey that Joseph went on is a journey that we can go on. And when we look at Joseph's story and his entire life, we find that when Joseph had this encounter with his brothers, what he didn't do is say to his brothers, hey, you know what you did? It wasn't a big deal, guys. Don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. You know what? I'm fine. Throwing me into slavery. Hey, not a big deal. He, he wasn't excusing their behavior. He wasn't condoning their behavior. He wasn't saying it's okay. He also didn't just forgive them in a moment, right? I mean, this is like 22 years later after they harmed him. What we also find here is he didn't do this on his own with his own power. And I think the key to learning how Joseph forgave his brothers and experienced this beautiful family reunion that we see here in Scripture is something that we find in his speech to his brothers. Because over and over again, he mentions something to them. And what he mentions, well, it's not, it's not a what exactly, but it's a who. And over and over again in his speech to his brothers, he comes back to one person. And that person is God. That person is God. Because you see, Joseph throughout his life, throughout these years, had made a shift in his life. He'd made a shift because for many years, I'm sure he probably, like most of us, he, he focused on his brothers. He, he did like we would do. He focused on his brothers, how they harmed him, how they wronged him, how they, they needed justice, that something was coming to them, how he needed to get them. And his focus, his gaze, his energy, and his heart was all on them. But at some point, he switched his gaze and his focus. And he switched it from focusing on his brothers, the ones who had harmed him, to focusing on God, the one who was with him every step on the way. He focused on God, the one who was with him when he was thrown into the pit. God, the one who was with him when he was living in Potiphar's house. God, the one who had given him the skills and abilities to be a leader. God, the one who gave him favor wherever he went. God, the one who was redeeming all of the terrible circumstances and situations that Joseph found himself in. God, the one who never left nor forsook Joseph, but the one who was always working throughout his life. Joseph switched his focus from on those who had harmed him to the God who had saved him. And as he did that, he went on a great journey throughout life. And that journey is the journey that we see Joseph taking in Genesis chapters 42 through 45. And this morning, I'm only going to read that that section from chapter 45 that I read earlier. But I want to encourage you to go back and read chapters 42 through 45. As you see this journey, he goes on with these different encounters with his brother. And as Joseph goes on his journey, as he switched his focus to God, we see him doing the seemingly impossible to his brothers. And as he goes on this journey, one of the first things we see is that when his brothers finally come to him, they come to Egypt trying to buy grain because they're desperate, they're hungry, they're literally going to die if they don't get food. And in Genesis chapter 42, when his brothers come to him, the brothers don't know it's him, but he knows they're there. And like we'd imagine him giving them what they deserve, he doesn't do that. Instead, he gives them something else. Instead, he gives them mercy. He gives them mercy. And now, if you're not sure what mercy means, mercy, a simple definition is this, not giving people what they deserve. 
So they deserved punishment. And he could have easily done that, but he doesn't give them what they deserve. He shows them mercy, but then he moves beyond mercy. He moves beyond mercy and shows them grace. And grace, the definition of grace, it's very simple. If mercy is not giving people what they deserve, grace is giving people what they don't deserve. And so his brothers have come to him. They're hungry. They're going to die without the provisions that Joseph is in charge of in Egypt. And what does Joseph do? He gives them the food. He gives them the food they need to survive and the food that his father and others in the land where they came from needed. So he gives them what they don't deserve. He gives them this gift of grace. And not only that, when you look in the story, it's kind of complicated, but he also gives them back in a secret roundabout way the money that they paid him for the food. So he gives them the food. He gives them their money back. He gives them what they don't deserve. He shows them grace. And then in this beautiful moment in Genesis chapter 45, we see Joseph taking it even further. We see him offering them forgiveness. They've harmed him. They've wounded him. But he says, you know what? You, you've given offense to me, but I'm gonna release you of that offense. I'm gonna forgive you. I'm no longer gonna hold that grudge against you. And it's a beautiful thing. He hugs them, he weeps with them, he forgives them, and then he even goes a step further. He goes a step further as we don't only see forgiveness in the story, but we also see reconciliation. And sometimes we kind of get these two words mixed up with each other, and we just use them interchangeably. And so we kind of use forgiveness and reconciliation like they're the same thing, but they're actually different. You see, Joseph had forgiven his brothers in his heart before he met them in that moment. Because forgiveness is something that Joseph could do on his own. When you've been hurt or harmed by somebody, you don't need them in your life to forgive them. Forgiveness is something you personally do when you've been harmed. It's work you do inside of yourself. So Joseph forgave them, but we also see this reunion with them and that reunion between the two groups is reconciliation. And I once saw this definition of reconciliation. That reconciliation is forgiveness plus repentance. And so for the person who's been harmed, reconciliation, for it to occur, that person has to forgive. But not only does that person have to forgive, the person who did the harming, who hurt the other person, who offended them, who sinned against them, that person for reconciliation has to repent. And if that person repents and they say, look, I'm sorry for what I've done, and the other person forgives them, then they can turn towards each other and then there's an opportunity for reconciliation to occur. And in Genesis chapters 42 through 45, we see through a series of tests that Joseph puts his brothers through, he discovers that they're sorry for what they did to him. And not only do they say they're sorry and do they feel sorry in their hearts, he sees through their actions that they've actually changed. That they've turned around and they are now living 
as different people. And so as they repent and say they're sorry and Joseph forgives, they've now turned to each other and they experience reconciliation together. And as we look at Joseph's journey and his story, I don't know if you've kind of caught this yet, but really Joseph is pointing us to someone greater. Joseph is pointing us to someone who is yet to come. Joseph and his journey and the story are ultimately pointing us to Jesus. You see, in this story, we often like to think that like, we're Joseph, but really we're more like the brothers because we are people who have done harm to God. We've turned our backs on him. We've sinned against him. Humanity has done so much to God, just saying, God, we don't care about you. We don't want you. We, we have sinned against him. But Jesus shows us mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve, punishment for our sin and separation from our relationship with God. No, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He shows us mercy. And not only does he show us mercy, he shows us grace by forgiving us for our sins through his death on the cross. We don't deserve forgiveness, but he offers it freely to each of us. And not only does Jesus offer us forgiveness through the sacrifice that he made and through our repentance, when those things come together, we can experience reconciliation with God. Joseph and his journey ultimately point us to Jesus. Jesus, the one who one day all people will bow down to and worship. Jesus, who said in Luke's gospel... What is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, on our own, we would never be able to have reconciliation with God. But through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made in the Holy Spirit's power and presence working within us, we now have been reconciled to God. Through the provision of forgiveness that Jesus offers us and through our repentance, we can be at one with him. The impossible becomes possible because of God at work in our lives. And as God and his power and his presence are at work in our lives, the impossible becomes possible as well as we're able to extend forgiveness to other people. As we're able to extend forgiveness... And be reconciled to them. Now you might be hearing this thinking, you know, that's, that's nice in theory, but that doesn't happen in our world. This is pie in the sky stuff. That's not stuff that actually happens down here. But recently I came across this story of two guys who have a beautiful story of forgiveness and reconciliation. And I want you to watch it. So you can see that it's not only possible, it's God's preferred future for each of us. We end this week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You're saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all... Made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? 
And basically, the start of that day, I was gonna make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail. Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side by side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. I'll grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight. What's impossible for man is possible with God. Not only is it possible, we've, we read in Scripture, God actually commands us to forgive other people who've harmed us and who've wronged us. Paul writes that we are called to forgive others as we've been forgiven by Christ Jesus. And so as we focus on God and turn our gaze upon him and realize everything that he's forgiven us for and the grace that he's shown us, Paul is saying that should flow through us as a channel to other people in our world. And, and look, it's not quick. It's not easy. A lot of times it's messy. And quite frankly, if you've ever tried to do it on your own, you know that it's pretty much impossible to do on your own. You need the power of God at work within you. And so if you've ever wondered how to begin this journey of forgiveness, I would say it begins with just going to God in prayer and just saying, God, help me. Help me forgive those who have wronged me. Help me forgive as I've been forgiven. And God promises that he will help you do that. His power, his presence, his spirit at work within us will enable us to do that. And this week as I was preparing the sermon and thinking about forgiveness and reconciliation, this one person that I've had a hard time forgiving over the years kept coming to my mind. 
And so I was just like, why is it so hard for me to forgive this person? You know, I've prayed about it, I've thought about it a lot. And the Holy Spirit reminded me that the reason why it's been so hard for me to forgive them is because I'm waiting on them to say they're sorry. I'm waiting on them to repent. And I was reminded that for us to forgive somebody else, they don't have to do any of that. Forgiveness is a work that God does inside of us, regardless if the person is alive and apologizes or has already passed away and can never apologize to us. Forgiveness is something that happens in our own hearts, regardless of the other person. Because I was thinking about this, I mean, I also realized, you know, maybe reconciliation in, the, in this relationship I'm talking about is possible. Reconciliation could be possible when I forgive them and then they repent, they say they're sorry, and then we can come back together. When I thought about Paul's words in Romans, he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. And so we have to remember that sometimes in our lives we will have forgiven somebody else, but they're not willing to change, to turn around or to say they're sorry. And so we've done what we can, but as far as it depends on us, we're living at peace with them, but reconciliation in those cases might not be possible. Reconciliation in some cases might not be ideal due to boundaries that need to be put up depending on the circumstances. But as you saw in that video and as we see in Joseph's story, when forgiveness and reconciliation take place, they are such a beautiful thing because they're really a glimpse of heaven. They're a glimpse of God's forgiveness and the reconciliation that we have with him through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, because all of this is really impossible on our own, I want us to spend some time here at the end of the service in prayer, asking God, God, come and work in my heart. Come and work in my life and help me. And so I want to invite Oscar to come up, and he's going to play some. And during this prayer time, I I want to kind of give you some, some prompts and things to think about and pray for. And the first one I would say is this, that as you're praying, I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you forgive others. That's where it begins, by saying to God, God, I can't do this on my own. It's impossible. I need you to help me. Just ask God to help you forgive. And one of the things you might do is you might say, God, give me the names of people I need to forgive. Because some of us, when we think, we're like, yeah, I'm good. But maybe deep down in our hearts, we we push this person away. We've just kind of hidden the unforgiveness. So ask the Holy Spirit, help me forgive. Remind me of those people I need to forgive. Ask God to begin to do that work in you. And then I want to encourage you to do this, to to repent. That's saying you're sorry and seeking to turn around from what you've done. Repent of the ways that you've sinned against God. And say, God, I'm sorry for these things. And maybe there's somebody in this room today that you need to repent and say you're sorry to. Maybe there's somebody in our church. Maybe there's somebody in your family. In these moments, I want to encourage you, go speak with them. Talk with them and say, look, I'm sorry 
for the way I've treated you. Because yeah, others might forgive us, but it's our repentance that begins that process of reconciliation with them. So bring those things before God. And then I want to encourage you to do this. Is If you're here with your family, I want to encourage you to pray as a family together. Because in Joseph's story, we see that dysfunctional families can cause a lot of damage and can cause a lot of harm. And one of the ways to having a healthy and a functional and a spiritually vibrant family is to pray together. And maybe you've never done this as a family and you're like, I don't, uh, this is scary right now. The preacher's asking us to do this. All it is, kids, families, is just simply talking to God. You can just say, thank you, God, for the good things in your life. And then just say, God, help us in the challenges and name those before God. So I want to invite you, if you have your family here, to pray with them. Or if you don't have family here or for whatever reason, I want you to just pray for your family. Pray for forgiveness in your family. Pray for reconciliation. And if you don't have family here, we're going to have prayer partners. If they want to go ahead and go to the different corners of the worship center, we're going to have people who are willing to pray with you and for you as well. Maybe you don't really know the words to say, what to ask for, or how to even begin. Maybe you, you need to just confess something out loud that it's going on in your life and just just say, look, I, I need help asking God for forgiveness for this or I, I need some guidance and some wisdom on how to approach this situation. They're going to be scattered around and we invite you to go to speak with them and to pray with them. We just want to invite the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and to make the impossible possible today. And so I'll open us up in just a second and feel free to, to sit in your seats, to, to stand and pray, to come forward and, and kneel up here. There's no special power up here, but there is power when you come on your knees in a posture of prayer and submission before God. So I invite you to come here if you want to, as a family, move seats and get together and, and pray out loud. We just want to give you some time to meet with God and to ask his presence, his power, his spirit touch you today and to begin doing that work inside of you. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We thank you for the gift of life, for the gift of forgiveness, for the gift of reconciliation, for the gift of mercy, for the gift of grace. And God, we ask that you would pour those things out in our hearts right now, God, as we confess things we've done to you as we confess things we've done to other people. God, we pray that you would help us feel the forgiveness that you have for each of us. And God, help us forgive other people. Help us extend your mercy and your grace to others in these moments. Holy Spirit, work in us. Do those things that aren't possible for us to do on our own. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come.